0: Because I was like
1: really into McLuhan even before I like got involved with like online politics in any capacity, um, and so it's it's funny to to, to hear people's opinions on that um, in this kind of separate sphere, but but yeah, no, I've kind of noticed I've kind of noticed that McLuhan is um is uh, is a bit more popular amongst like reactionary circles. I'm not entirely sure why exactly that is, but I assume maybe him being Catholic has something to do with it. But
0: yeah, I, I, it. I think it has way more to do with the concept of electronic interdependence and the great fragmentation than it does, I think, maybe with his Catholicism. I could be wrong. I, I don't... Uh, I'm not. A, I'm not a Roman Catholic, so me, no. One, I didn't know that Marshall <laughs> McLuhan was a Catholic. I just read *The Gutenberg oh, yeah. Galaxy*, and I was like, oh, you know, language shapes our thoughts. Technology that enables communication shapes our thoughts, and the the age of the digital has only brought about like the worst tendencies of human socialization. So maybe mm-hmm. I should read more of this guy. So, uh, but I don't know if he's got a, a big following outside of like five people that i can think of i don't you know i don't consider McLuhan a, a reactionary icon i just consider him someone that like default friend would write about right totally. i actually
2: saw a Substack piece by uh catherine about that um, oh well there you go <laughs> <laughs> it was actually pretty good but yeah
1: well yeah man um fucking how's things been going
0: uh, things have been going pretty well uh staying busy both you know waging away but also uh somehow keep doing this internet stuff and I like to think of it as uh, somehow managing to uh, I don't want to say fail upwards because I'm not that self-degradating but uh, uh, things are moving up in the world and I can't complain
1: that's awesome that's awesome yeah no I mean I um, I don't want I don't want to um, get too ahead of myself too quickly but yeah I saw um, is it sildings right you 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 gave a speech there and I was really stoked to hear that I uh, I don't think there was any like recording of it or anything.
0: I don't know. Uh, They 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 have a recording of it and they're and also I need to like finish transcribing my notes because I gave uh I I, this is the second time I've spoken with them. Um we spoke last year and then this year. I've been a speaker both times and uh, because I have years of like speech and debate and theater experience, yes, I know. I'm one of those there's that poster who says that like all reactionaries deep down are like theater kids. There's probably some Uh, truth to that. But um, I, I gave my speeches impromptu. Like, I just have a little note card, and I made my talks. So, To be fair, yeah, I no. think
1: all political people online, deep down, are just theater kids. Because that is that – that I I understood that to be, like, the default state of of, of leftists for the most part. It's just, <laughs> tons of theater kids. This is actually my first time hearing that connected to the right. But I, yeah, I think I same. get what you're saying.
0: Oh well, you know, I, I guess that it, maybe <laughs> maybe deep down I'm just a secretly disaffected leftist. If that's, if that's the, if maybe <laughs> yeah, that's I'm just the, the exception left. that, may, I hope not. But um, I, I hope that I'm just uh, the exception that proves the rule in that respect, then.
2: <laughs> Well, that kind of background definitely tends well to public speaking and um, like doing conferences like this. So, And also even just doing podcast and the, like the solo style podcast that you do a lot, too. So I can definitely see that being a positive um, in a way kind of shaped you to get here.
0: Yeah, I, I, if I did not have the like, especially because if you do speech and debate, one of the events that I, I was the master of, not to no pun intended, there was just um Uh, limited preparation events so impromptu speaking or extemporaneous speaking where they'd give you a question or they give you three questions and you pick one of them and you have 30 minutes to prepare with research and sources to uh, answer that question on domestic politics or policy so you know I always I loved the foreign policy questions when I was in high school and college and I read I read I read the Next 100 Years by George Friedman, right as I was starting my freshman year of high school, and I fell in love with that book. In hindsight, that book is awful in a lot of ways. Some of its predictions <laughs> definitely are wrong. But um, the idea of using history, economics, demographics, and geography to like have a pretty good understanding of the future or where the world is going, I fell in love with that stuff. Oh, yeah. It's never gone away. So it all kind of had led me to believe... And I was always sort of like the token, like polite Republican or polite conservative in my younger (laughs) years, where liberals would be like, "He's one of the good ones," and I hate (laughs) that phrase now. But they'd they'd be like, "Well, you know, well, what's what's your position on things?" And so I would offer the sort of like nice uh, National Review answer back when I was in like high school (laughs) or college. And so I thought one day, and I, I started my YouTube channel when I was on dialysis, and I was listening to a podcast of people I've been listening to for years. And I was like, oh, well, I can do this shit. I can just pull out answers out of my ass and, and offer a take. And uh, somehow that has led to me being, I, I guess, what you would call the the niche micro internet e celebrity or whatever. I, I've, <laughs> I've been recognized in public, so I, I, I take it for what it is. Oh shit, you have? Yeah, I, I've told I stole the story somewhere else, but um, was it unnerving I, for you? It was weird because like it was the first time, and it, I was at a Bucky's. So, oh
1: shit! Yeah, um, that's where you want to be recognized. Right? Yeah, that's right. so that's true. You want to be
0: recognized in a Bucky's, absolutely. And so I was there, and I like grabbed. I I go because I don't usually. There's not a Bucky's that's near me, so anytime I like go to my transplant clinic or whatever, I'll go stop at the Bucky's on my the way there. And the guy who's like chopping a brisket and doing the whole you know fresh brisket on the board type deal, and he looks at me and he's just like, "I know you," and I'm like, "Uh, I don't reckon you do, sir," because like I don't live anywhere near this <laughs> Bucky's. And he's like, "No, you don't understand. You're the frog." And I was like, "Yeah, I yes. found out."
2: <laughs> I like how it's the meat cutter too. That's the shit, bro. Yeah, brisket. it's the guy.
0: It's the guy with the cleaver chopping up brisket, and I'm like, "Well, this either goes really well or really bad." <laughs> well, honestly, congrats on
1: on being recognized as the frog by anyone other than a, a fucking uh, federal agent. That's a that's a win right
0: there. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's yeah. the thing about those conferences, man, is that you get the weird parasocial shit out of the way first. Mm-hmm. Um, like, people that are, like, referencing your work while you're, like, in line to get dinner, and it's like, bro, I'm, like, two feet away from you. Like, I get it. I said that on a stream, like, six months ago. Please shut the fuck up. But, like, yeah, um, right now I'm looking at these yeah, Brussels sprouts. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know I'm here to eat. I don't want to listen to, like, my rehashed meme points from six months ago. But, no, yeah, the conference was a good time.
1: That's funny because that's exactly one of the points that COH and I were, like, just talking about on the phone a little bit ago was, like, I wonder how much of an impediment... How much of, like, a challenge to a meetup like that, the, like, paraso... Well, in my mind, two things. The parasocial aspect of it, right? Which is, like, oh my gosh, like, here's this ostensibly famous person in my own life, at least. Um, You know, that whole kind of thing. And just the all right, we're right-wingers all gathered in one place and we can actually just kind of hang out and enjoy being, uh, you know, socializing among uh, like-minded people, like how much that might kind of disrupt it, actually. I mean, or maybe it doesn't, and it's just kind of a nice thing. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I wanted to get your, your take on it. Oh, that. sure.
0: I'm, I mean, I mean. Uh, it, it was weird for me because, like, one of my bigger influences on my work and the things I like to think about and read about is Dave the Distributist um Mm -hmm. and so you know he's been there both years I've been there both years and so like last year it was definitely awkward because it's like I want to like tell Dave how much of an influence he's been on me how much I appreciate his work but then you're like yeah but you don't know that guy personally so like don't do that um but I mean no actually it wasn't really a, a hindrance at all I think everyone kind of had their fandoms sort of going on they wanted to talk to people and they wanted to to listen to what they had to say. But I mean, everyone was really cordial. Everyone passed the physiognomy, you know, check. Um, <laughs> and people, it was so nice to be in a room where everyone spoke the same language. I don't have to explain like 600 hours of like, you know, the lore behind like why the West has fallen or whatever to explain. Right. We can just get to business. And that, and that's exactly what it was, which was a good time.
2: Yeah. It kind of cuts out all the pork and gets like straight to it.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, yep. I mean, that's nice too. Cause that's gotta be, in my mind, that indicates a certain standard of success, a certain level of success, because I always worry with all of this kind of stuff that the, um, and I think I've heard Dave kind of mention this of just people saying like, you know, that was a that was a great video that I watched in the background while I played the game. Now I would never I would never you know give anybody a hard time for something that I literally have done plenty of times. But
2: but just I feel like you're of, doing that while we're podcasting. I literally you, do that, you know, that while what we're, the fuck I mean, <laughs> <it. laughs>
1: I was playing WoW during the last episode. Yes, but like, <laughs> but um, no, but just that idea of like kind of the being infotainment can almost be kind of flypaper. You're stuck to a little bit, and sometimes I I wonder like how much of it is just kind of entertaining, clicky stuff online, clicky mm-hmm. with a cue. Um, and how much of it is actually like something people are are like coming to with a really serious uh, relationship, and and I I feel like that's a that's a big that's a big make or break thing, and so it's encouraging to hear that people were, um, I don't know, getting something real out of it, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that when it comes to these kinds of events, um, and like with any sort of particular conference. Lo- well, maybe with the exception of, like, the, the, the parties or whatever Curtis Garvin's doing. But, I mean, like, uh, <laughs> th- those people are there to sort of work and, and to do it. I, I think it also requires people to recognize. And that, that, dis- that discourse has happened both in real life and on the air. It's like, I always consider myself, look, I'm part of some kind of commentariat class. If you call me a thought leader or a political organizer, you have a vastly warped understanding of how politics actually operates. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, like I participate in local politics. I print out sub stacks from, uh, my friends and colleagues and, and show them to like my ca- my County Republican chair and he likes them. Uh, so you actually have to put the work in, but I mean, people only see the sort of infotainment side or the, the, the dreaded I word influencer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, think it's a real problem because, and that was like, actually that was my whole speech the first year, which I have up on my YouTube channel, um, which was about you actually need actual strategies to bring people out of the digital and into the real. Like, cause we, right. we, we live in a very discarnate world to sort of riff off the McLuhan thing we were talking about earlier. Um, mm-hmm. because everything is now discarnate. Everything now has like three or four layers of distance digitally speaking, uh, whether it's dating, whether it's religion, whether it's, you know, virtually all aspects of our life. Um, and so to, to bring it into the flesh, into the world incarnately is important because we do live uh, in a discarnate world. And I think that's a particular challenge for political people, but I, I would say more so for, for religious people, Christians especially, because like, your whole focus is on the incarnation. Um, and now all of a sudden you live in a world that just totally doesn't want you to live incarnately or physically. It's all digital.
1: I think, I think that one positive thing for um the kind of community that you're operating in uh that i might just add in as a as a note is that it is it, probably helpful that i think people on the right and generally i mean is still things more is still things more kind of explicitly nrx
0: or am i assuming with that i mean it's just explicitly right wing Okay, well, I know it's explicitly right-wing, but some...
1: Like, <laughs> I mean,
0: some- no, well, that's, that's the funny thing, is is, is that um, all of the sort of, like, factional bullshit disappears once you start meeting people IRL. Right. Um, you know, like, it, there was a, a wide mix of all sorts of Christian and non-Christian traditions that are at these events, and everyone is like, yeah, like, I may disagree with you, or I may think that, like, the Roman pontiff is, like, evil or whatever, but, like... <laughs> we're here to do business and I can put that aside for like three or four days to do that. And so yeah. um, I, I, as for what is it, what it is explicitly, I wouldn't call it any particular camp other than just to say it is um, not a part of the mainstream and it is focused on something else. Gotcha. Well,
1: either way, either
0: way. Um, and that's probably good.
1: Either way, my point was just going to be that I think the group kind of, it kind of naturally self-selects for people that don't just kind of, Deny the body and and just and just kind of become, uh, you know, purely digital, uh, people. You know, I mean, I think I think that there is, for any kind of like basket weaving, if you want to call this that, uh, any kind of like meeting up in person, kind of rubber road approach to stuff. Um, I think that that probably helps people just really like having um. N- not losing because if you ask anybody they're gonna probably give the correct answer when they're under pressure even the most deranged leftoids a lot of the time but um but you know people that are fairly grounded as a default state and understanding the importance of like meeting someone face-to-face having a good handshake having a good conversation face-to-face and i guess kind of like you just said right like we're we have a shared interest we're we're doing this together and you know, do, doing something like that as opposed to, I guess, kind of the, the be all end all being, um, you know, a Twitter group chat or something like that. Right. Yeah.
0: I, I mean, group chat culture is awful <laughs> uh, and, and it's awful because I keep getting added to these and I'm like, I really don't like them. But then you kind of recognize that there's an important networking purpose to it. Yeah, and then you're utility. like, yeah, they, yeah, but they still suck. But yes, there is utility. Um, that's really, that was, that's what Twitter is for nowadays. It's a, for me, it's a group chat machine. It's not even like a, a take machine or a place for me to get my news. It's just like, what are the boys bitching about today? What weird thread are we going to talk about? I mean, for God's sakes, I mean, we just saw Bislett and Billy Pratt, um, you know, troll the world for... Forty-eight hours over Barbie and Margot Robbie, so uh, proof is in the pudding that Twitter can, you know, affect the real world.
1: Well, okay, okay, so so well, so really fast, right? This is the this is the Twitter v real world thing test right here, because because yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Coh has no clue what you're talking about, no. so let's ask him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> C-O-H, oh man, you missed it.
1: Is Margot Robbie mid?
2: Oh man, is this what the debate is?
0: No, just uh, the no, no, no just, answer the just answer the question. I don't She's think a, so. No. Don't think so.
2: I mean, I think she looks good. <laughs> <All
0: right. laughs> I mean, yeah.
2: compared to what is she mid, bro? I don't know. Yeah, I think she looks good. Um, I, yeah. I would for sure. Yeah. Okay. There
0: we go. Okay. I, yeah. The the we moment all would. This... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I said we all would. I mean, that, so this is the thing. That was the question, or that was the proposition. Oh no, exactly.
1: We all fucking would. I'm that. That's, yeah. that's
0: Best way to intro this. Absolutely. That's the great way to preface it. We all would. <laughs> um, but no, so like Bizlit and Billy Pratt uh, kind of, and, well, I'm in a group chat with both of them. And so you can kind of see the coordination behind the scenes. But like oh. uh, uh, Billy Pratt's looks like she's mid. Like, you know, she is, uh, she's beautiful. She's attractive. And his point was sort of trolling them by saying like, yeah, she's mid, she's not a 10 out of 10. Um, and, and going off saying like, you know, she's safe for other women to see as Barbie because she's not like, bomb she's not like what she was in the wolf on wall street when she was 22 oh yeah um,
2: i mean i don't think that anyone's saying that i think that's a good yeah, take
0: the, but but everyone because of how he was posting it like oh margot robbie's mid you know you could see right a, like you know she's a seven you could see 10 out of 10s at your local cashiers <laughs> in 1995 or whatever to a point where just yesterday at the turning point usa conference congressman matt gates of florida <sighs> Had said that Margot Robbie is not mid. Margot Robbie. Ooh, is what the
2: fuck? Is that real? Yeah, Ooh. it happened. Holy shit!
0: Wow. Yeah, it, it, it hit the. I uh, hit. It was on also the Daily Dot and some other um, news publication. And then yeah, Congressman <laughs> Matt Gates uh, shouted about it. So
1: yeah, you know, so it's, funny, that... it's funny. It's funny because I like, generally like as a um, as like a force of habit. I I. Immediately reacts to any, um, I guess, um, I- I- any appeals to like, oh, we need dignity in, in the public office, right? Because usually it's just it's some absolute fucking demon. Per- that, that's something Mike Pence says, right? That's that's the that's, <laughs> that's the thesis of Pence, okay? Um, which is hilarious. Um, but like when I see when I see Matt Gates like or gets or whatever the fuck um say that i'm like you know i mean maybe there's a little bit of a point to the like, dignity of public office thing because i i don't know man we're, it's funny we're talking about we're talking about the um we're talking about um man uh like the transition from the digital to you know applying it to the real world and yeah. uh, and seeing the the reverse motion is, is kind of funny a little bit um, you know yeah, I don't do need know? I mean I guess that's kind of his entire brand so I mean I guess he's getting something
2: right yeah I only really enjoy it when Trump like makes reference to someone's physical appearance in uh the political yeah. world really that's it's fun when he does it it's funny laughable but when you see it from like Matt Gates or something you're like oh god this is like I don't know. This well, is this Trump's is ridiculous. A little,
1: Trump's a little cryptic about it. Like,
2: yeah, yeah, he's he's thought out about it a little bit. He's not well, just going off of what's on the timeline. He's like, he sat down. He's like, yeah, this woman looks like a fucking frog, or like whatever the hell. Well, we're know. talking about
1: you no. Know, it's like it's like we do a little trolling. It's called we do a little troll. You know right. what I mean? Like, that's,
0: he's not looking straight at the sun.
2: Um, yeah. Well, that
0: was no, and thing. I mean he also he'll also try stuff out. Like he's done three or four different. Insults with Ron DeSantis to see what oh
2: yeah see what so, sticks mean, like a true comedian would yeah
0: like yeah. He, he he is truly the A B tester of political insults and he knows what <laughs> he's doing
1: I have I, I so I know Meatball Ron which I'm particularly fond of but what are a couple of the other ones I feel uh,
0: like Ron DeSanctimonious was oh yeah I've seen that one for a little while Dude, that's,
1: a, that's a stinker unfortunately it's yeah, too long
0: it's too long yeah. I don't know like I I'm it'll I think the best one will come on the debate stage because. I, I, the the whole uh, Blaze Summit forum had Ron DeSantis on, and like he's got poor comedic timing. He's yeah. you, you know he doesn't he has poor eye contact. Like eventually some of these guys on on Twitter his his war room or whatever they're gonna start like pushing him as the literally me autism candidate because he just doesn't know. Yeah what he's doing and like there was this clip of him going to like getting a burger or whatever I think he went to Wendy's or something or some <laughs> other stuff. and he's like mmm Hongwi or whatever and I'm like that's <laughs> the most relatable he's ever been on this fucking campaign was just the little autistic mmm like looking at his food as the burgers being served him I was like that was the most relatable this Florida governor has been in this entire campaign race that's And if crazy. he started his, and if he started his campaign that way rather than a Twitter space I think it would have been way better for him
1: if if yeah. the if the if the relatable autism thing um, ends up taking
0: over, like you're you're
1: saying it might, then people will need to start doing like um, like photoshops of his campaign posters, but with like Ryan Gosling in place.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, like, give me a candidate. For, I don't care for what office. Uh, just give me a candidate wearing like the white scorpion jacket and drive. Shit. It's yes, over.
1: Dude. It's <laughs> over. <You> he <should>, <laughs> shows vote for him. The, the candidate shows up to, like, a, a presidential debate with just, like, a ball-peen hammer and just, like, doesn't address <laughs> it at any point. Um, yeah, man. Well, f- fucking... Honestly, we're jumping around a little bit here, uh, but that's... I mean, that's kind of our, our, our whole shtick. At, at a I mean, they're
2: point. both conferences or summits, so oh, I mean, no, I guess okay. they're kind of related.
1: <laughs> and so I want to talk about the, the Blaze thing, because... Um, I mean, that was kind of my two main um, things I wanted to touch on, but... Um, it's, it's fresh off the presses. Um, and, uh, I'm kind of stoked. Uh, I, like I said, I was, I was talking to COH earlier and, um, we were talking about this piece that you wrote up about it, which I just, I just uh, went through real quick and, um, really liked it, but man, seeing Orin up there, just, uh, just belting out bangers (laughs) on, on television is pretty surreal. Um, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely an example in the wild of exactly kind of what we're talking about of just like, you know, getting real about some stuff. But, but yeah, I mean, how about, how about you intro, um, this, uh, this topic for us? Cause I think COH and I are completely, uh, incapable of introing any topic. We just jump around like, like, <laughs> like yeah, home.
2: it seems that way.
0: Yeah. Uh, sure. So, uh, just uh, two days ago on the 14th, the Blaze hosted a presidential forum summit with another group, I think called like the Family Group or whatever in Iowa, the first caucus state, kind of an important state for Republicans in the primary season, uh, having a presidential forum with Tucker Carlson, who who jokes and says he's unemployed, um, which he kind of is. But uh, he was the interviewer for almost every Republican candidate for president, with the exception of Donald Trump. Um, oh really so, yeah so he, he interviewed everyone on that stage for about 40 minutes uh with trump and the re- all of the blaze team was there glenn Beck, matthew peterson their new editor-in-chief as you mentioned or mcintyre all their other guys were there uh giving commentary in between on these issues and it was a surreal experience to see how fast the rhetoric had shifted i mean For, like, right-wingers, right? Like, it it was proof that, A, griping and bullying works because, like, it only took a few years of just constantly harassing Charlie Kirk for him to be, like, this close to dropping the 14 words. And, uh, (laughs) you know, then you're listening to these Blaze guys. And I... For me, my my image of Glenn Beck is permanently ruined by the fact that he interviewed Matthew Iglesias to talk about, like, one billion Americans, the case for, like, unfettered immigration to beat China or whatever. Mm. And... uh, I was just like, I really have written Glenn Beck off. And then I see right. that, like, actually Glenn Beck's probably the most moderate person out of everyone that they had on there, from, like, Steve Dace to Delano Squires to Orr McIntyre. Um, and, of course, like, Tucker probably did more work for Donald Trump's campaign than anybody else because all of his questions were focused on the country, the, the nation, the fact that things are going badly, like – You know, the the President Biden just did this weird order about calling up the reserves and Uh, the the Atlantic Resolve thing for Ukraine. And so you're just like, well, what the hell is going on? And so he did a really good job interviewing these people and he killed like three campaigns uh, in in a very short period of time. So, I mean, it was it was a tremendous event. You can watch the whole thing on YouTube. Um, And then at the end, I think they did some sort of like TV subscriber special for Glenn Beck interviewing Tucker Carlson. I didn't see that. I didn't give the place any money. Uh, But yeah, I I wrote this little sort of write-up and report because I have ulterior motives because it's more of a, hey, notice me type deal than me wanting to write a recap. But yeah, that was the event. Yeah, yeah. So who interviewed
2: Trump or did no one interview him?
0: uh, Trump was not there, so no one interviewed him.
2: Oh, okay, so he wasn't there. Okay, No, not there at all. So who were the candidates that were present?
0: So you had... uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson, former okay. Vice President Mike Pence, Vivek <laughs> Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Senator Tim Scott, and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis were there.
2: Okay, so really, I like, feel like Ron DeSantis is the most interesting candidate of that mix that actually showed up to that.
0: I, Probably Vivek was the most interesting to me. Uh, yeah, I'm but, not sure
2: if I'm familiar with with that
0: the person. Indian guy. Yeah. Oh, he's the other Indian guy running because there is uh, Indian blood and Miss Nikki Haley. And honest to God, between Nikki Haley, Kamala Harris, and Vivek Ramaswamy, I really want, for some reason, maybe just because I want to stoke a little, like, because when Indians go have a race war on Twitter, it's always crazy. Um, And so deep down, I kind of want the caste discourse to enter the 2024 presidential election. I'm just kind of like, I'm kind of excited for that.
1: So, like, so, uh, so, so Tucker goes up on stage with all of them up there lined up, and he has one question that he just, that he just kick-starts the entire thing with. It doesn't ask a single, a, a single, uh, additional thing, and it's just, uh, do it smell crazy in there. <laughs> and they just pull out guns, and they're just fucking, it's, it's the race war begins. Yeah, dude, honestly, like, Vivek's an interesting one. Your, um, your Marrowin joke uh, really cracked me up because because uh, I haven't heard anyone point that out yet, um, but I got a kick out of that. But it's funny um, you said, um, God, what, what was it? It's like he's basically the GOP's Yang Gang, and dude.
2: That's what it looks like. I didn't know about this guy. And I'm googling him right now.
1: He's 100. percent Well, he's kind of like um, okay. I, I think I think I depart from from Prudentialist a little bit here in that. I mean, he's kind of he's got the. Um, He's got oh, my, I have another
0: nickname for him, but that was probably the nicer way to describe him.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's. Um, he he um, he strikes me a little bit. Too, he strikes me as kind of like a
0: Silicon Valley blood boy kind of thing a little bit, yeah. right? It's like. Um, well, that that a, was my nickname for him was H one B mold bug. <laughs> <laughs> so like, oh my god. Because if you re- go to his website and you read his policy platforms about like making government more efficient, cutting the civil service, uh, de- destruct- deconstructing the administrative state, I'm like, this is Indian Curtis Yarvin. This is H one B mold.
1: Right. Well, and he's still and he's still like, um, he's still very much into that as far as immigration goes, right? If, like, yeah. We're, yeah. We're gonna, yeah. Crack down on that, but then, yeah. So. Um, no, but the, but the Yang Yang thing, the Yang Yang thing definitely jumps out to me, and it's and it's interesting. I have a hard time gauging like how actually popular this guy. is. I mean, I guess we s- still all just go off of pulls anymore, which is you know kind of sad. But I have a hard time gauging how actually popular this guy is, and or, and just like how much the YouTube algorithm likes him, um, because, and it's funny. It's funny because he is like. He seems, and this obviously, he has a platform, right? And I'm sure he talked about it. I haven't watched any of these besides a couple of the clips um, on Twitter, kind of the usual suspects. Um, but um, he kind of does just seem like an anti-woke candidate, um, which makes me a little, which makes me a little bit, um, a little bit skeptical. But <clears throat> I definitely think that he's. Um, you know, I think your question, a question that you kind of came back to a couple times in the in the piece was like, why are these, you know, why are some of these people fucking running? And, uh, and for Vivek, I feel like it's so obviously like uh, he's running for a cabinet position. He kind of almost reminds me of like Pete Buttigieg in that way, mm. right? Like, there's no actual chance there. He's just going to run for a cabinet position.
0: Well, Pete Buttigieg probably thought he could. Like, wait, Pete's story is even I think kind of interesting because like he he gets his start offering that Democratic speech, and he ran for the head of the DNC a while back while he was still mayor of South Bend, yep. and he was trying to get the Obama moment. You know how he mm-hmm. pro- projected himself onto the stage with the 20- 2004 uh, Democratic National Convention speech. And, you know, that's how he got his famous start before becoming a senator in 06 and then running in 08. And so, like, Pete Buttigieg would literally rip from Obama word for word in some places on the campaign trail. But it's just like, bro, you're running as a Democrat, as a white homosexual. You're never going to win the black vote. Like, I don't know why you thought you could run for president. But, yeah, I mean, he, he got a, he, he got his sinecure out of it. I don't, I don't know what Vivek wants because Vivek doesn't seem to belong to any particular camp, um, you know, Does he want a cabinet position? I feel like he makes more money in Silicon Valley from what he's done. Uh, And then, of course, at the end of the day, like I said in the piece, like I I want to like him. And then I'm brutally reminded that this is the man that Richard Hananio wants to be president of the United (laughs) States. And I'm like really concerned.
1: Well, okay, okay. So because that's a good point you just brought up about Buttigieg. I think that that's a, a pretty critical distinction between them. What do you think Andrew Yang actually wanted? I mean, do you think Andrew Yang thought he could win?
0: No, no. But I mean, like, this was actually a point raised by one of the, uh, I I don't know, because, like, if someone tells you to run for president of the United States, Mm -hmm. there's something in you that I think kind of just gets transmogrified, like, if you were to put on the one ring and it corrupts you. Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, you know, if someone were to whisper in my ear, you know, like, you can become president of the United States, like, that's a tempting offer, like mm-hmm. that's power money influence i got the secret service i could like do whatever heinous shit i want Um uh, like that's crazy kind of thing to, to to be a part of but um democrats will also run to like campaign on certain issues you know that was a point that one of the the blaze people said was like you know there are some democrats that run for office that never make it you know like what right. was governor jay Inslee's 2020 Bid it was climate change. What was mm-hmm. Amy Klobuchar like trying to like tell the Dems that you still need white Midwesterners to vote for you? Um, I mean, Yang Gang was about like universal UBI. income and things yeah. like that. Uh, Gavin Newsom will probably be. A, I, th- I still think Gavin Newsom's a dark horse candidate. Um, he's spent all this money on this gun control bit, which is like the only thing white Democrats can ever campaign on nowadays, besides climate change. So I, I don't know what Vivek is advocating for because Vivek is just like you know, I want to bomb Mexico and take out the cartels, based. But, like, I also think high-skilled immigration needs to continue, ethno-narcissism. And then, like, we need to deconstruct the administrative state. But he's got this weird sort of, like civic nationalism kind of optimism about the country where it's like, actually when I talk to people, you know, we do have open discussion and free speech, you know, we, people are still okay, which, you know, one part of me is like, that's not true at all. And then I realized who I'm talking to right now. And I'm like, ah, actually that is still kind of true. Um, so <laughs> I, I don't know what he wants or what he's trying to accomplish. Cause I think for him, you can make more money back in California.
2: He's the head of a pharmaceutical industry. Or not industry, a pharmaceutical like uh, investment company or something.
0: Is I think what... so. Yeah. Um, so
2: maybe he's looking for some sort of cabinet position in health and human services or something along those lines. It, he's
0: also well. He he's um, he was the he's the executive chair of Strive Asset Management. But yeah, he does invest in a lot of biotech, and he's got a bachelor's degree in biology. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, him running health and human services would. I mean, what's the, well, I'm, I'm right, saying, well, enough. you know what, what's the difference, right? Because I mean, he works 100%. in the, he works in the machine and all of that. It's the same way that all of our previous like health and human services secretaries end up working for big pharma anyway.
2: Maybe he just likes to get attention, you know, he's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I've become some sort of a talking head, you know, figure in this kind of realm. Um, and you know, he's like a clean looking guy, you know, he's like probably gets a decent ab- amount of digital attention. Um, and it looks like he's kind of like a, seen as like a rising star of the right as far as like the anti woke thing. So yeah, I could see yeah. that. Yeah, I mean he's just... young.
0: He's only thirty seven. So he's right. got a. Oh yeah. He wants to engage in politics. He's got a long uh, place to go. And I mean, I, it is very interesting though because, um, I mean he's uh, he's he's Hindu, but he went to a Jesuit school. Um, but he's oh, also dear. like playing that like hokey. Uh, moral therapeutic deism of like America, of American like religion, where it's just like you know, yeah, you, know, you got a god-shaped hole in you, and if you don't have it filled with God, then you know like all this other woke crap will take over. Which I mean like that's true, but like mm-hmm. you yeah. know I, I don't think America's not like we. I don't think America did all too well in retrospect of having its first black president. I'm look. I don't know how well the country will do when you have your first like hindu ethno-narcissistic president um that'll be weird so you know maybe keep him in cabinet position i don't know you know i, I don't think he's gonna win the, the, no. the um you know i don't think he'll win it so yeah i don't
2: see an indian winning the united states uh presidency i just don't see that i don't mean I don't. I mean, maybe I mean, i'm wrong
1: i mean oh the one thing i will say is that like um when we got like the east side over in my neck of the woods where, you know, fucking a lot of these, you know, I think Oracle and Microsoft and a lot of these companies are either based or have big, you know, campuses. And (laughs) I mean, that whole fucking industry is completely dominated by Indians. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite uh, uh, dismiss the chances on that lens uh, um, outright completely. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think him as a candidate is totally a, a wash. I mean, I think I think if I was to I think it's pretty clear I don't think any of us really have a super good idea of what is what's point is but I guess um, I guess my best guess would basically just be uh, building you know media capital basically right yeah. I mean, and by that I just mean like him as a as a as a, as a product um, in the media sphere right I mean I think people, I think people kind of did that baby brain thing with Trump for a while, just being like, "Oh, he's just doing this to start, uh, you know, some media empire or something." Um, but I mean, I think that I think that Yang literally kind of made an attempt at, at doing that when his um, his campaign crumbled. He got hired by CNN. I think I think that lasted for you know five milliseconds. But
0: well, Yang also ran for what mayor of New York City and failed miserably. Like we did. <laughs> So yeah, I mean there's that too where it's just like come on. like this is the this is the problem with uh, and I mean I don't think this just applies to Indians, but I think it just applies to Asians in general. And this isn't like me dropping some like esoteric racist take, but it's just like demographically speaking, they're not statistically significant enough yeah, to have yeah. a major sway in the polls. Like I mean like it, you have to look at the turnout results in the New York um city mayoral election it was all based upon ethnic coalitions and ethno-narcissism and like i get it like this is what happens when you live in a multi-ethnic democracy is that people are going to vote along ethnic lines um and there are not enough asians in this country to build a significant block on a local or national level outside of like municipalities and school boards because that's when they have the most influence because there's just a shit ton of concentrated rich asian kids and rich Indian kids and, and, and schools. I and mean, like, you go to like South Carrollton in Texas, like, hold oh, man, you are not, you're not Texas anymore. Right. In the same way that like, you right. go to certain parts of San Francisco, like that's not Texas, like, or that's not California. Like, you know, definitely um,
2: not fucking Texas. I'll tell you that. No, much. Yeah, definitely not Texas, but like definitely
0: <laughs> not California either. Like, look, there's the Ganges right, right off of uh, the, the golden <laughs> gate bridge. Like, you know, it's, that's the way that it is. And so I, I don't think that they'll ever in the meantime, they know that their biggest ability to influence politics is through techno capital. So that's why virtually there's an Indian CEO in every major, uh, tech company right now. Mm, Well, so another thing,
1: this was, I'll be honest, this is probably the point that, that jumped out to me the most. Um, it was a point about DeSantis and this is, you know, this is interesting to me because one of the things that, um, that was kind of a whiplash, when I, in my very limited capacity of just kind of lurking right now that I'm back on Twitter. One of the things I, I noticed when getting back on there is that people really don't like Ron DeSantis. And it, it was funny because before I had kind of wised up to this fact, COH and I were kind of already talking a little bit about how like... Um, he kind of almost seems like... He's hitting all these notes where it almost kind of seems like as kind of vaguely ex-leftists like he and I are. It almost seems like he's a psyop that we're supposed to be steering into. Um, And that makes me instantly really skeptical. And and if I'm supposed to be thinking a certain way, I instantly want to stop thinking that way, right? Um, And the point you made in the, the article was um you know desantis is kind of about maybe not about but a big part of it is converting people to vote conservative right um and how that's um you know that's something you're skeptical of i mean is that is that accurate my, my characterization of so accurate.
0: i mean R- ron desantis is viewed by the donor class ben shapiro fox news and a lot of Never Trumpers to be sort of the quote unquote answer of Trump with Trumpism without the Trump, which has been this sort of like mythical GOP position thinking like wow like Trump did win an election and not only won an election but in 2020 he got 10 million more votes than he did for re-election, which almost never happens historically in re-election campaigns. You normally Mm -hmm. lose voters. We see this with George W. Bush. You saw this with Barack Obama. You saw this with uh, Bill Clinton. Uh, It's a long trend. But uh, they they really want DeSantis to be the guy. The problem is is that the base does not want him. And so you have this high-low versus middle thing where, like, you know, um, strivers and GOP staffers are like, yeah, I want to do this. And the donor class and, like, the wealthier pundits are like, yeah, let's go in on DeSantis. And then the, the middle, you know, the white flyover country base or whatever is like, yeah, we don't want this guy. We want Trump, you know. And that's sort of the case. And that's why I added... That, excuse me, that polling stuff in in, in the piece. Um, but DeSantis was saying like, no, you you know, he was talking about his political machine, and he was talking about the need to convert people to vote conservative. And I I'm always like, I get I guess I get skeptical of it because my brain just associates that with like red pilling the normies, which is way different. But um, I guess you can, and I think it's possible. I mean, I've done plenty of canvassing work and door knocking and phone banking i mean it can work and it can happen it's just that the american body politic is so polarized and schizophrenic i just i don't know how you can do it without having that sort of boss tweed patronage system in the backdrop that can get you know massive amounts of people bust in to vote for your guy which Democrats know how to do Republicans, not so much. And so I'm just innately skeptical of like, whatever your political machine is, does it have the capability to reward your campaigners? And does it have the capability to get more bodies in the room than the other guy? And so far history has told me that only one side knows how to do that more effectively. Uh, and it's the Dems. So, you know, I, I'm hopeful that whatever happens in 2024, um, that the Republican political machine can get more people to actually vote or does ballot harvesting better, but I am very skeptical. Well,
1: okay. So, so when I agree with that, um, I think that I think that the machine politics is obviously a primary factor. I mean, that's, 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 that's that's primary, right? Um, the secondary thing is this, is this kind of, I don't know, just a, it's a secondary strategy of, of what we're talking about here, of bringing people over shit like that, whatever point I was going to say, and this is my real point for this is, um, I think that he does have something, um, as far as that strategy goes. And that specifically, um, being the super anti COVID candidate, right now, yeah. again, shame on me. I didn't watch, uh, all of these, uh, all these interviews, <clears throat> I don't know if his messaging is still as strong as it is. I mean, I recall talking to, to Oren recently and, you know, he said, you know, like, I I don't have, uh, I, you know, I, I liked living in Florida through COVID under, under DeSantis because that means I didn't have to live through all of that psychotic bullshit. And um, I still look around and I don't really see people messaging that hard against the fact that, that, like, we all got fucking put on house arrest and just, like, just, just like, had bored, like, I I lost my fucking job. You know? I know people, I know, I know, I think five or six people that went to the fucking ER because of the, you know, the thing, right? Um, The thing that we're not supposed to talk about, I should say. Um, And I think that that is this huge vein that should be mined, and the only person I really see talking about it is uh is rfk in any real Mm -hmm. meaningful way right now rfk has got a lot of problems okay um and he's running out as a dem not least of which but um but it's just interesting i mean i mean do you think people are speaking to that issue enough i mean i think i think that that covid if you want to actually get people to break through the retarded years of John Stewart lib conditioning of thinking that the last thing you'll ever do is vote for a conservative. I think, I think the ultimate way of doing that is, has been and continues to be COVID. What are your thoughts on that?
0: So, yeah, no, I absolutely agree that the, the real tyranny of COVID has not really been talked about by anybody. I mean, to me, rfk is really like he's more on the vaccine issue he's more on the um the science aspect of it and being questionable i mean and you know he's been on that front for really his entire like adult political career Mm -hmm. you know being sort of the questionable vaccine skeptical candidate person which i mean it's kind of nice to see a liberal return to form on vaccine skepticism i i, right. I, I don't think that was ever a right-wing talking point and i'm kind of glad that someone on the left is uh, returning to tradition so to speak but um i i think that no one has talked about it in a way that really pisses people off because like Listen, I was on dialysis and dealing with kidney failure at the same time COVID was happening. I am permanently attached to a system of medical tyranny that could fuck me over at any time. I hate the medical establishment. And I've witnessed people who could not attend funerals, who could not say their final goodbyes. Who watched family die behind, you know, a mask and like a plexiglass sheet of metal or whatever, not being able to hold their hand as their loved ones died in isolation. Not to mention the ventilators, not to mention the money that people got by labeling deaths as COVID and not actually why they died. And no one's tapping into that. You know, all that really what's been going on is, is the DeSantis has been saying like he did this on the Twitter space when he announced his campaign. He's talked about it elsewhere, that he was the candidate that didn't lock things down. And yeah. no one, I think, has tapped into that righteous anger. And it is really righteous anger because like I'm sorry for the purposes of enriching billions of people. We, you know, printed out, what, over a trillion dollars in stimulus that is only setting ourselves up for recession. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and we killed an untold number of people. And yeah, we'll man. never see justice for that. And I don't think that anyone's tapping into that because everyone wants to quietly put it away and just move on. Like we had, you know, that weird, you know, year and a half where everything was strange. Um, no, fuck you. Like, no, like no one's doing it. And I'm now I'm getting worked up. But yeah, like I agree is with you.
2: i mean dude yeah it's frustrating and no one speaks to it ronda santos doesn't even speak to it like you're saying not to the righteous anger he just is very bland about like well we just didn't do that down here in florida and like he's very like just focused on just the lockdowns not the broader aspects of it um and then you have like on the flip side you have rfk like you're talking about who's like coming out ostensibly as the anti-vax candidate anti-covid measures candidate but like he's also just talking about just the vaccine so it's like no one's speaking to the broad array of things that actually like fully disrupted people's lives sounded at the very core of their like spiritual existence right. as well like which is shutting people apart from each other abandoning people cutting friends apart cutting families apart um shutting down churches places of worship literally the the, the overreach that they had to do that and then just the the way that the economy suffered because of it, the way that every individual's lives changed in a material way. No one's really speaking to those things as like something that's significant. It's just like, yeah, people are just using it as a button. Like I was anti-vax or I was anti-lockdown. It's like, no, it's, it's not about just one of those things, you know, being a signifier here. It's like, let's look at how that actually ties into the economic system and the like power system that we have now and kind of try to look at deconstructing that or at least, using that crisis as a way to draw parallels to problems that are um, just kind of a part of how we're living rather than just like, oh, yeah, that was just like, oh, people had this idea to lock things down and then, like, I just decided not to. Well, no, it's a set of a broader, you know, a broader system that we're living in and, you know, kind of like a social moral malaise. Yeah. Well,
1: it's, you know, it's funny, too, because, I mean... It reminds me of, okay, people are talking, I think, of a lot of the the downstream effects of it without talking about it as a whole more, which in my mind, I think that, I think that the Floyd riots, a huge part of that was lockdowns. I think, I think that, I think that a huge part of that was also the NGO fucking networks and, and all of that shit. But I mean, like, I think that, I think that the spark set that off because of the fucking lockdown measures okay and i think that excuse me i think that the stuff with um you know the gender goblin stuff with kids if you want to look at the numbers of just how many you know you guys know exactly what i'm talking about right just like oh in the last five seconds um you know the the rate of, of of queer you know word that doesn't even mean anything um and like trans people has has increased by a billion or something you know what i mean that shit um that obviously has that obviously has a ton to do with the fact that we locked kids in their fucking homes for like Mm -hmm. two three years of the most important fucking socializing time that they were ever gonna fucking get you know right um and that doesn't get talked about at all so i mean it's just it's a very i don't know it's crazy making um I, I'm coming at it from the angle of I'm prepared to just be a single issue voter about this for the rest of my fucking life. Like, I don't even care that uh, it, it, I don't even really mind that much when, like, RFK says something that's, like, kind of zogged out or, like, says something dumb about the climate or about free market capitalism. Like, I don't I don't really give a shit. Like, he's at least the closest thing to somebody who's talking about this in a significant way. And I would I would flip very quickly if, if DeSantis like really boned up about it and just went full bore on it. And it's, it's just, it's wild to me. It's wild he to can't
2: me. bone up about it though because he does have corporate ties at the end of the day. And like, he's like the establishment candidate. And so like, because of that, there's certain lines that he can't cross. And I think that's why he's frustrating to the right, like why the voter base wants Trump rather than DeSantis is because it's easy to tell that about him.
0: There's also a meta narrative aspect to it as well. I mean, like the base wants Trump because they see in a, in a lot of ways, it's almost Greek tragedy, a man exiled who is willing to, and I mean, what is Trump other than maybe like a Coriolanus character? He is a rich upstate New York real estate developer. You know, he is the, he's the bourgeoisie for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. and he says, ah, fuck it. We're going to, you know, we're going to speak for the little guy. Like I'm going to betray my people. And become this hero to, you know, people like me who live in the middle of nowhere. And it's just like, where I still live, which is not in the world's greatest economic conditions, you know, you're still going to find Trump flags and thin blue line flags and stuff like that. And it's just like, those people are hungry To get revenge. And there's Mm -hmm. this Revan kissed attitude there. Like, fuck Ron DeSantis, is what a lot of these people are saying. Like, I want him to come back and exert righteous revenge. And there are a lot of problems with Trump. I mean, I will be the first one to openly admit it. Like, dude's got a lot of issues, personnel problems. Uh, you know the man just gets flattered a little bit by somebody and gets his ass kissed, and then he hires the guy and gets fucked over. Um, his response to the pandemic was awful. I mean, yep. hell, he was in office when Fauci and Burks were there. Oh, yeah. you no, know? he's a sick freak. Uh, he, yeah, yeah, he's,
2: he's
1: yeah. These
0: people are sick. You know, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I, he could, he I'm
1: wholeheartedly with you. you. Fauci in probably a year and a half longer than is at all defensible. One hundred percent.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Trump doesn't have a good defense to that. Uh, at all. And I mean, and that's the thing that irks me, but at the same time, I don't look at this race um, in terms of candidates. I look at who's, who's your staffers who's around you. Mm. Um, and so the, the fact that Jared Kushner and Ivanka are not being involved in this campaign, is a huge fucking, whew, thank goodness. Um, yeah. the fact that like Steven Miller's doing stuff on the side is good, but like the guys that are in like Trump's campaign area, like the center for American renewal, these like guys that are like, you know, theory crafting the legislation and the laws for like schedule F and to like get these guys gone. Um, that makes me kind of excited because, you know, those are the people that I would want in the background running the bureaucracy or taking care of the agencies, whereas I look at the people whispering in like DeSantis's ear or mm-hmm. Mike Pence's ear, or Nikki Haley's ear, and I'm like, you guys are ten times worse. And I, I hate to be like, you know, the 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 you know least evil out of all of these evils here, because there is no good people here in this list of candidates <laughs> out of any of them. Right. I mean they've all got their problems. But I, 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 I look at it more or less solely on who are the guys that would be running your white house if, um, if you were to get elected.
2: Right. Well, I think the thing with that, and I think you're spot on with that. And I think that with Trump's campaign and his whole kind of political machine in general is that it's a little bit more of like the anti establishment, the outside kind of perspective. And so there's more room to, um, for a little bit of movement in there there's more room for flexing influence among a camp like that it's less rigid in its projection um because you don't have those establishment staffers and stuff like that that are really kind of guiding it in a certain direction it's a little bit more of like yeah kind of like just a pool of energy and it feels a little bit more open to where like you know you could get people who are you could exert maybe a certain amount of influence within that camp that you couldn't, um, with these other candidates.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a pretty good take. Um, I like, and, and I feel like what's worse is, is that I think everyone has this energy, like quite a few of my colleagues, don't really care or, or, or don't th- you know like i get it for, for a lot of people on this side of the right they'll be like well democracy faking fake and gay i don't endorse it i don't want to participate or whatever but like yeah,
2: that's my general feelings on it um i know yeah, i it, know that it, it, as no, a political ahead. actor in america it's like at a certain point it's like just saying that you just i don't know if you're going to talk about politics in america you have to talk about the electoralism and somewhat how you have to participate in it because it's the only real like thing that's occurring unfortunately and it's not real like it's not representative of actual public um, intentions and you know a desire really and it's all kind of you know this facade but you still have to kind of participate in it look at it and talk about it um, if you're going to do any type of political commentary in america
0: yeah absolutely and i don't think that it just sucks because i think for a lot of people it's just like well you know i really don't want to do this but i kind of have to right. and on one hand for me it's just like as someone who has like a political background and has done elections and campaigning i've done i've i have admitted it before on air i have phone banked for ted cruz's re-election campaign in the senate <laughs> um which i kind of i definitely regret but <laughs> um it was just like well you know like you kind of have to pay attention to this stuff like you can yeah. ignore politics all you want like it doesn't mean politics will ignore you and I wrote that down, and I still adhere to it. Like, I don't care if you want to call me, like, a vooter or whatever. Like, I, I live in a system that kind of requires participation or at least some nominal awareness of it, so I know how to prepare for when things get bad. So, yeah, like, I, I this selection will be as faking as gay as the last one, and so be it. But, like, um, on one hand, I kind of need to know and how to be prepared and informed, and on the other hand, like, election talk is like really easy fucking money to make when it comes to like (laughs) content creation so like you know why not get a little bit of both going on um i'm i'm a i'm a man who appreciates opportunity
2: right and it's consistent it keeps coming back around you know every two years every four years and so you're kind of still in that cycle you kind of go through some Peaks and valleys of it, and you get a moment to take a breather when you don't want to talk about it too much. But then when it comes around, you're like, "Oh, that's a nice way to fill an hour or two and make a yeah. little content."
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, know I, I actually
1: had written down that when I was reading your your piece. I had, the first note I have is the politics wanted more you, and I and I did like that quite a bit. I think it's um it's the best option out of a out of a out of a selection of pretty bad options. Um, and so you know we take what we can get
0: well um, yeah because like i made this point because um, we did a we did a digital archipelago episode me and, and geo Panachetti, we have a show called the digital archipelago and um yeah i appreciate that um but we had a whole episode on sort of like in the aftermath of ron DeSantis' announcement and you know people were giving me shit in the chat for just being like oh you know he's telling us to vote and to participate and i'm just like guys i get it but at the end of the day what has been my entire shtick since I've been on the internet has been to tell you, do you like what your face looks like in the reflection of that black phone screen of yours? And if you don't, you got problems and we can work on that. The same applies for politics. Like politics is not just this thing that we look at discarnately or that it's this grand political meta narrative. Like, no, it affects everyday ordinary people. And if you're not informed or if you don't know how to respond to it, if you're not willing to like, go to your city hall and bitch about some ordinance about like cigarette smoking in public streets or whatever, I think you're kind of helpless and you're not going to make it. And if that makes me an unpopular person, well, I really don't care. Like I'm still going to say that shit anyway. It's just very frustrating to me when people don't recognize that. Like, they, I mean, like it's the same, it's like the Oren McIntyre tweet, which is kind of funny. Um, Cause he's, I, I made the, the meme out of him for the thumbnail for that piece. But you know, he'll say that the side that wants to be left alone is the side that loses to the side right. that wants to win. And the same thing goes for politics. Like, you know, you don't want to give a shit about politics except about like ratioing like David French. I mean, that's fun and all. I get it. You know, ratioing David French is actually easy. But um, if that's all your ideas of politics are, that I don't have any politics. I just really hate liberals. Then mm-hmm. you're probably not going to make it. Right.
2: Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, it's the avenue for politics that we have within our culture and within our like political system. And so you kind of have to partake in it um, in one way or another. Um, and for me, it's like, I partake in it if it's something that really speaks to me, rather than like, um, you know, something that I think is actually meaningful. Um, so it's like, then that's just just personally, because it's like, do I have the time in my day to even want to deal with voting for someone that's like completely milquetoast nothing? Um, but I definitely see that there's value in partaking in it, especially at a local level. Um, because, yeah, there's even if it's not like the avenue for some sort of large, you know, structural change, there are small changes that happen uh, through the legislative system that are going to affect you and affect the people around you. And so I think that the most, you know, prudent uh, way to go about politics in America is having a broader strategy, you know, ideally, uh, that involves extracurricular politics, that's not just um, within the scope of electoralism, but also understanding that like one of the tactics you may have to use to, you know, follow your strategy is that you may have to engage in electoral politics, because right now, that's like the avenue that we're given.
0: No, I, I agree with that. And I mean, I, I tell people first and foremost, that that is the area you should focus on the most is, um, is the local, because I, I do think that the Catholic concept of subsidiarity is correct, like you have more influence and power based upon geographic proximity. And for me, yeah. if that means I go to my city, you know, my city council meetings, I go to, um, you know, my county GOP meetings once a month, which I do. And I print out my like friend Substacks like a political pamphlet, and you know my <laughs> and, and my county GOP chair really likes Oren McIntyre and Morgoth. Now all of a sudden, like, hey, to me that's a win in my book, and that right. means there's a degree of influence that my side has that you know other sides don't. And I would much rather than listen to someone that recognizes that really what we need to be prioritizing is human flourishing and to Mm -hmm. find a way to reverse the rampant disorder and anarcho-tyranny that we live under, like, that's all the more better for me. And I mean, like, one of the earliest videos I ever did on my channel was about where you can have influences of power. And to me, it is at the city and local level. Like, people don't recognize how much power your local county commissioners have when it comes to, like you know, funding the county and where that money goes in appropriations to roads, the schools, like mm-hmm. projects like a baseball field or whatever, like you really need to pay attention to those. Cause if not, right. like, you know, your tax money can be used to fuck you very quickly mm-hmm. if you're not paying attention.
2: Boy, I'll tell you what, where I live right now, the mayor uses the tax money to just fuck us as good as possible, <laughs> doesn't do shit about anything and gives it to all her fucking friends and cronies. So yeah, I it's definitely important to uh keep an eye on that and Yeah, if you had someone that's actually a little bit more tied to their constituents in a meaningful way, in a material way, then, yeah, it would uh, definitely increase the positive benefit that you get as far as, like, patronage goes. Uh, Maybe the streets would be less fucked, uh, you know, a couple things like that. Yeah,
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny because, like – off of my, I live off the main road, and so you have to take a, you, you'll take a right, and there's a lar- long gravel road before you get to the gate where I live, and for the longest time there was like some potholes and stuff, and like my, my father would complain constantly. I'm like, you call the county commissioner to fix that, you know that right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, not really. And I was just like, yeah, that's what you call. And so I I, I literally had him call <laughs> that same day to, to lodge a complaint, and it got fixed in, in in two weeks. And so it's just like, do you see how this works? You know, you, you call people who, you know... I hate to be all sort of like civic nationalism here, but it's just all like, you know, they, they do work for you at the end of the day. Like, if you if you start bitching, they will notice. Uh, I hate, like, you know, broken windows sort of deal here. But, um, yeah, you had to pay attention locally. And if you don't pay attention locally, how do I expect you to have a competent understanding of the national?
2: Right, and, like, you can't actually do a whole lot about the national level with like your individual actions really. And that's what everyone's mostly tied up and focusing on a lot of the time. And like you're saying, you can have a little bit more of a meaningful, immediate, you know, ability to affect the things around you at a local level. Um, because you have more influence, more tie, more of an actual like ability to get your face in front of the people that are representing you um, and make them actually listen to the things that you're worried about. So, yeah, I think that is a, a big part of it. Like, people get way focused on um, the big, big, big picture of you know national politics, which I think is maybe kind of a crapshoot that's going to be very, very difficult to ever, if even possibly, untie all of that. Um, but you can actually... Do stuff more meaningfully at a local level, and then you can actually start to see like, you know, things change in a positive direction, and that can maybe change a little bit of momentum, and also could just you know boost your own personal moral, um, you know, more your your morale. I mean, not really All moral right. compass. Well,
1: before before this gets too too far into the into the territory of baggy hope posting, <laughs> I want to <laughs> get your take on Andrew Tate because. You had a really, um, you had a really quick blinking and you miss it comment, um, about him in your piece, right? hmm Um, and, uh, and, um, also I, I kid with that segue, of course, I kid with that segue, but, um, you, you said that you really did not care for his, uh, his interview with, with Tucker. Now I'm about halfway through the interview with Tucker. I think it's amusing, you know, I mean, um, I think it's amusing, I think, um, one thing my buddy told me that I that I that I get a real kick out of is um, everybody's um, different uh, words for for ostensibly kind of the same thing. Um, the cathedral, the matrix, um, the man—you know, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I understand the cathedral is a much more coherent concept, but I just absolutely love like with how much of a dipshit Tate is that he just calls it the matrix like uncritically. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, if you, you can probably already tell, I don't really have a lot of love for this guy, um, for, for a number of reasons, but, but yeah, I mean, I want to get, I want to get your take on it because, um, I don't know. Cause, cause I found Tate is, before I kick it over to you, Tate's an interesting figure because universally it, it, it seems like the overwhelming majority of people that I encounter don't like him, but everybody has, um... Everybody that isn't a normie at least has some kind of interesting reason um, for for not liking him. Ton. So, yeah, I mean, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, maybe you love him. I don't know. What are your thoughts?
0: Well, and I, I tweeted out when I heard that he was going to interview uh, Tate on Twitter. I was just like, eh, like, that's a little disappointing. Um, and, like, I got halfway through it, and I was listening to it, and it was just like... Is he, like, really, like, this cycles Jordan Peterson for, like, young men to, like, look up to and see it? Now, yeah. don't get me wrong. I The situation and the relationship between the sexes is absolutely fucked. Um, mm-hmm. And anyone who tells you it isn't needs to go get a swirly or something because they're just wrong and retarded. But um, I, I just find it interesting that this guy that, like, sort of did this pop conversion to Islam – And Mm -hmm. is just sort of this, like, to me, just sort of like a grifter, which all of them are. I'm just like, are we, like, this is like the mix of, like, the last 30 years of, like, man, you know, male-specific related discourse where it's just like, all right, we got men search for meaning with a little bit of PUA rational male Rolo Tomasi (laughs) thrown in here, which I'll wholeheartedly admit I read the rational male when I was in college. Um, interesting book. It's, it's, it's pop sales psychology and how to get laid and it, it does work. Um, but you know, it it was also, uh, this is a well-known factor on the (laughs) internet. Um, it's kind of funny because the digital archipelago sometimes get called the show between those who have sex and those who don't, um, but (laughs) but, um, it was weird because it's just, like, Twitter is not the place to, like, drop a two-and-a-half-hour interview. I get it. Twitter Blue lets you do it, you know, up to how many gigabytes of data to, like, upload a video on there. Because, like, I think the first time once they rolled that feature out, someone posted, like, the entire The Greatest Story Never Told video, like, you know, propaganda film. And you're like, okay, this is dangerous. but uh, or, or kind of funny to troll. But no one's going to watch all that shit on Twitter and so, like, you know, you have to drop it to YouTube or a, a, a platform or whatever, uh, which he didn't do, which I thought was in poor form. I get it. Like, maybe Tucker's contractually limited to just Twitter. But, um, like, Andrew Tate sort of rubs me the wrong way because, like, the the PUA stuff is fun and all, but I don't think it really gets to the crisis of meaning that men have. Of like, and it's, the, and it's the same problem that, like, vets get when they come home. Like, it doesn't matter if you saw combat or not. Men like being with other men in a sense of camaraderie, teamwork, organization where we can shit on each other, but also work together to meet collaborative mission goals. Um, and that's why so many guys struggle when because they don't do a good job at getting you adjusted to civilian life. Like, my dad had to get another job with the federal government when he got out of the army, because it was just like, you know, you went from being a soldier for decades to being a park ranger. Like I know yeah. it's not the same thing, but you have, you put on a uniform, you do your job. I get it. I understand it. But like now it's um, you know. So Andrew Tate sort of just like pressing on for things, and maybe it's because I'm like I'm 27 and I'm not like 17, where I'm like trying to understand his appeal. Because to me it's just like I've seen this before. You know, I, right. I've seen the mix of Jordan Peterson, I've seen the mix of Rolo Tomassi, I've seen the the Rush V route where you sort of give it all up and you come go back to religion. Um, and so it's just like what you're advocating for i guess works in this environment which really tells you how bad we've fallen like I, I kind of get back and forth with a um a manosphere friend of mine his name's uh his name is uh red hawk um and i mean i like him he's a good guy i've met him in person you know he's a solid gentleman i like him he and i share a lot of similar interests we're outdoorsy dudes but like you know his whole point is like listen adapt or die you know and i get that but i'm like if this is how we're going to adapt to live I see ourselves running into some sort of corner or bottleneck
1: mm-hmm. and
0: maybe I, maybe I haven't hardened my heart enough or something, but, um, I think Andrew Tate, Andrew, <laughs> Tate, sorry. Taint, <laughs> um, that was not on purpose. Um, that was really just a slip of the tongue, but I think what Mr. Tate is a representative of is a symptom of a much greater problem with men. Yeah and if we've degraded this point to where some like obvious nouveau riche grifter who for some reason is in Romania and like bragging about how corrupt the Romanian government is while ever he's doing his activities and like talking shit on Christians and like telling people to like convert to Islam or whatever um no thanks but I understand why he exists and it's not and it's only a sign of how bad things have gotten
2: so here's my my question on it because I think you're right on all that I think it's really sad I think that I understand why he has an appeal. I wish he didn't have an appeal. I think he peddles the wrong solutions. I think all those people peddle the wrong solutions. I think they comprehend a sliver of the issue. um, And then they try to extrapolate these like, Um, you know, things that are just driven from their own point of view on how to fix it. uh, And they don't actually take into account a a broader view of the problem. They don't get to the spiritual sickness. They don't really get to the lack of meaning. They don't really get to diminishing opportunities. They don't get to so many other things. And it becomes just like, it becomes just a, it's a really dark way to view other people all the time that they're, that they all advocate for. And I think it's mostly antisocial behavior um, I think that it's for people who are having problems connecting with others um, and, and socializing and being a social individual in the world, um, atomized people. But I think that the solutions that they sell are ones that are going to lead to further isolation, further atomization, etc. I think they're um, coming from a place of, um, you know, just like a disconnect with other individuals and even with the self. But beyond all that. And because of that, I wonder what is. Why do you want to associate with someone like this guy? And why would you want to associate someone like this guy with your movement and with your political project? To me, like I don't. It seems like it's self sabotage to even get involved with someone that's this much of a fucking clown. Um, So I wonder, like, why even like interview him if you're like Tucker Carlson? Um, I mean, I guess maybe for him, he's more of a he's a news figure, so it's like you're gonna maybe get a lot of eyes on it and maybe stir up some controversy but it just seems like it's shooting yourself in the foot to even just want to be associated with him at all
1: yeah well which is interesting too because you would think man, I don't even think Tucker needs to worry about brand building all that much right know, the reason the reasons for interviewing him I'm, I'm less you know certain about but honestly man like Andrew Tate just seems like he's the he's the guy in everybody's fucking neighborhood who just like drives a loud car like, like, <laughs> at inappropriate times, and it's like that's not a fucking that's not a worthwhile model no. for society. Um, that sucks. And he would probably be like less. Um, and and it's not like I'm like I'm like a woman respecter logging on here or something. But, <laughs> but, but but and here's here's the here's the here's the red flag butt coming in. But like, dude, y- you probably would be less harsh and hateful towards women if you didn't like just hang out with whores all the time right like you you just you just hang out with like shirtless dudes that are i don't i don't know just like grind set business business partners or whatever and just like whore women and then you just have like this really misanthropic view of humanity and it's like it's really obvious to me why that would be the case, you know. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, I don't really like the Islam thing that much. <laughs> I don't, well, I mean, hear me. It's not, I mean, it, I don't like for, I don't like I don't like that he's Muslim. I don't like that he's Muslim. I think at the very least he's more honest than Jordan Peterson, who like who like will forever just be the fence sitter. Uh, he'll be he'll be doing fucking panels on on Genesis. Uh, and still, just be afraid to to fucking uh, out, outright say that he's a religious person. Um, and I guess this—I mean, I don't want to derail myself too much, but I mean, this little crusade that Jordan Peterson is taking against like anons online is insane. I don't even know what's going through his fucking mind when he's doing this. But I don't I mean, know.
0: I don't think even Dr. Peterson knows what's going through his mind most of the time. And I—I genuinely do pity the man <laughs> because. This this is what this is what really frustrates me about Dr. Peterson, and I, yeah, and I um, which is, you have this benzodine, you know, whatever yeah. you have this benzo crisis, you know, your daughter allegedly like banged Andrew Tate or whatever, and then oh, like fuck. Was, what? Yeah, there's there's I don't know how true that is, but allegedly that you're this mess. is a rumor that's gone on. Um, You know, you're on this carnivore diet thing, but like you recover, and for years you're out of the public eye after trying to give young men meaning you go through the most dostoevsky style of suffering imaginable like straight out of like right. crime and punishment or the brothers karamazov And then you proceed to have the most Gnostic takes on Christianity. (laughs) You, like, get shit-talked to you by Dennis Prager and Ben Shapiro about your review of Exodus saying, oh, what a Christian thing to say. And it's just like, Christ is Lord. Like, just admit it, Dr. Peterson. Just admit it, like, you stupid fuck. Like, the answer's right there. And you're picking all the answers with the wrong ones. and, And it frustrates me because it's just like, God knows what is necessary for your salvation. And you're suffering, and you're suffering still. And you haven't found your answer, which is to like quietly retire from public life, seek <laughs> a monastery, write a book, and like don't like. I, I want to like run into you awkwardly at some pan-orthodox service or something, and recognize who you were and know that you're a different man now. But that'll never happen because you know I got to tweet like I'm writing some rhapsodic homily, you know soliloquy mm-hmm. about why anons or dark triad troll demons or whatever. <laughs> and it's just like. I'm fucking done. I'm so done. Um, you know, it's just it's so sad. Like, pray for the man cause the man's yeah. lost the fucking plot.
1: I can't handle the formatting of the tweets anymore. I don't understand <laughs> what's going on. I don't understand what's going on with that. I like I really like is he
0: tweeting it. them, or is his daughter behind the account? Like, what the fuck's going on? I don't know.
1: i, I, I it, it reads like that. It reads like that. I like I exactly what you just said, I mean, like i I, I genuinely think. Okay, I want to I qualify this by saying I'm about to talk about him and his spiritual life, and I don't fucking know him. I know his profile, okay? I know h- how he exists in media, okay? So I'll qualify it that way, all right, to cover my ass. But I don't know how you can live through this, like, dark night of the soul that he experienced, like you said, right? And not just fucking go the extra two fucking steps over the finish line because he's been trying to
2: rationalize himself out of it his whole fucking life dude that's what he always does he's trying toiling away within his mental mind and it's like you're never gonna do anything like that he needs to stop thinking for once like he needs to like take himself outside of that frame of thought for like a second uh and just just try to like not just be constantly caught up in that mental fucking wheel well
1: i think i think what what rationalism does to a motherfucker right yeah i think i think I think that you don't do that. I know I said that I don't know how someone does that, but I, I lie. I, I, I have a pretty good idea, which is just like, I just, you have no connection with God at all. If you go through all of that and you can't, something has happened in his life. You know, like there is something not being addressed that just, because it's, it's so, it seems to be obvious to everyone around him. And yeah, he's getting like mogged by by Jewish dudes on his show who were talking about you know fucking uh, pornography is a great is a great um, oh what was it it's like a it's like a great defense against me cheating on my wife kind of thing um, and just oh, the but really?
0: That, really that happened
1: oh yeah they, okay no so so yes yeah, so it was panel show with with Peugeot and Prager and whatever um, they're talking about it and they're they're talking about they're talking about. Um, you know, lusting after a woman, right? And uh, and if um, and if that's um, you know cheating, cheating on your wife, if it's infidelity, it's a lust after a woman, right? Um, and um, I was really disappointed because I like Peugeot, but he gave kind of a mealy mouthed, like weak, weak kind of careerist answer um, by just like not really putting his nuts on the table and being clear. Um, but yeah, like uh, you know. Prager basically just goes into this whole spiel just about like, you know, if I'm checking out, if I'm checking out some lady in a bikini or something like that, like, that's just because I'm a man. And like, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, if a man's watching porn, you know, uh, maybe it's because his wife, you know, isn't having sex with him enough. And it's, you know, it's great that he's not cheating on her. Uh, He's just, uh, he's just watching porn. And, you know, maybe that that has a good purpose to it. And, you know, Peterson's, you know, listening to that, like back, back leaning back in his chair with his fucking uh, Harvey Dent Two-Face <laughs> jacket. And oh. Like, oh, oh, you know, well, maybe that's a good idea. And it's just, it's like, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm losing my fucking mind. I feel like, I, honestly, like, I really encourage you to, to, to
0: watch it because it's Oh, like, it's man. Wild. That is so sad. I, yeah, you know, I don't know. Maybe a lot. I don't know. Or maybe uh, lust is better than you know cheating on my. Wife. You know, I just it's awful. It makes me so upset. Maybe um, maybe, maybe, maybe uh, tacitly supporting human trafficking is a good idea. I, 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 don't, I don't really know. Well, maybe this one path to hell is better than the other. I don't know. Like, it's so oh <laughs> uh, yeah. No, that irks me. I didn't know about that, and that just um makes me more enraged because it's just like again, like you have this something that is straight out of a Russian novel. And it's just like – and yet you have not – instead you find yourselves in the den of vipers and not – of course Dennis Prager would say something like that. Anyways, before I start, um, you know, whistling on all fours with dog whistles. Yeah, it's just – that's frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. Remember, kids, Christ is your only answer on this earth.
1: There it is. There it is. But, yeah, man, I mean, just – I don't know. Just speak more on – On the tape, (laughs) I know you're just you're just recovering from that. Uh, I'm so glad that I got to tell you that for the first time.
0: Yeah, Um, I did did not know that. Like, I don't really pay attention to the Daily Wire at all. Uh, Occasionally, I see like a Matt Walsh tweet on my timeline, and then like I remember who you work for and like what the Daily Wire is all about. And then you've got like that one Brett Cooper lady or whatever who looks like Ben Shapiro in drag, who's sort of like the Gen Z bit. And I'm just like, this is really unsettling, and this isn't for me. Like, I don't know who it's for. I really don't. I don't know who the Daily Wire is for. Um, oh, that's, honestly, yeah. I've had I've had a discussion
1: with someone that I know personally who's, you know, just kind of irredeemably. It's a good person, but it's just. This is a person I know through family, that is just terminally leftoid after you know being put on fucking house arrest during COVID basically like all of us and which I think happened quite a bit, right? I think people came out of that. Well, whatever, I'm not saying anything surprising. Um, and I think, and it made me kind of realize like she's, she's talking to me and she's, she's describing, you know, far right YouTubers. Um, and she starts, you know, referencing stuff like the daily wire. And I think in that moment I realized, right. That like, they might just exist from more than anything, at least dialectically, like for just leftoids to be like, this is, this is the far right. You know, I mean, it, it, I mean, honestly, this is old school Chomsky shit, basically, right? If they're the right side of the bowling alley. They're the bumper, right? We define what the furthest right you can be is. And and the idea that people would look at, you know, Matt Walsh and certainly fucking Jordan Peterson in this, in this broad you're talking about, who looks kind of uncanny, um and just be like this is far right is so sad and and wild to me. Um, but I yeah I mean I think that's I think that's basically it. I mean because because and I think you mentioned this in your piece right. It's like they're not really gaining any new audience, right? I mean I mean who's watching Ben Shapiro is probably going to be the same it was ten years ago to what it is now, and that number's not going to grow. It's basically I mean Ben
0: Shapiro ten years ago was more based than he is now, like. Right. Like ben Sh- you know, Ben Shapiro did two great things, which was, like, serve Piers Morgan's ass on live television about gun control, and then, like, publicly, like, get threatened with, like, bodily harm and injury when he told some tranny that he's not going to use his pronouns, and now he does do the pronoun game, and so it's just like, oh, well, like, you know, you're just a shell of your former self, and, like, now they're trying to do movies, and those movies are fucking awful. Um, I've seen all three of the Daily Wire movies, and I'm not impressed.
1: Well, it, like all of the movies that they're putting out are all—I mean, they're like because they're doing it, they're like just picking up these movies that were already done, and they're and they're putting out these movies starring people that like actively hate them, right? Like it almost—it kind of reminds me of uh, of when Walsh was like, "Hey, let's um, let's like get a, a fundraiser for AOC's fake abuela, and like donate a bunch of money uh, to her grandma." Um...
0: Do you guys remember that when AOC like yeah that? where where he was she just basically giving the enemy money.
1: No, exa- no exactly, right? And I, I kind of see that the movie thing that the Daily Wire is doing is, is, is sort of like that. Though no, I guess they had that that, um, that that MMA broad on there who was on the Imperia. I guess she's
0: Oh yeah, Gina Carano and I'll, I'll tell you what those movies she's in could use some work. <laughs> it worked. Uh, we, work. we we um, we've we've reviewed all three of them on the digital archipelago, but like, <laughs> um, the most interesting one, ironically, was the one that is not the Daily Wire's actual studio movie. It was their run, hide, fight the school shooting movie. Yeah. Uh, where it's, it's... basically um, it, it's basically just Die Hard Columbine edition, and. Uh, it's just brutal because it's just like, I don't know who this movie was for other than like, we're going to make fun of like how gun control doesn't work and how school safety mechanisms don't work and how, if some kid really wanted to do- go on a, uh, you know, Dylan and Eric style adventure, they, they really could cause they know how the school will, would respond. Um, right. But like at the same time, I got a girl boss my way in and like, also the kid's got a fucking working MP40. Like what? What? Um, you know, not an AR fifteen or whatever, but an MP forty from the Second World War that works. Excuse me. Uh it's a bad it's a bad movie. Um oh, I could rant about those for hours. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Do you see uh, did you see this is totally this wasn't even in our notes or anything, but I have to I have to ask because we're on this topic a little bit. Did you see that uh, Sound of Freedom
0: movie? Oh yeah. I have not seen it yet. Um I want to um, but you know, the guy who played Jesus in the Passion of the Christ is apparently saving children from pedophiles. I'm not surprised that <laughs> the left is not not happy with it. You know, like I live in a culture where cuties was promoted by Netflix. Jesus,
2: dude, I forgot about that fucking show until yesterday. I was like watching a podcast from back then, like that same era, and they mentioned it, and I was like, oh my god! What I thought, dude, it's such a fever dream that fucking oh, yeah. cuties thing. That was unbelievable, Um, but yeah, man, sickos out there promoting that kind of sick shit. Um, Sound of Freedom, much cooler, uh, much better moral story there. Um,
1: Dude, dude, Jim Caviezel's out here promoting the movie by talking about Adrena Chrome. Like, I have to see it. I'm not. I'm not even. (laughs) I'm like, and I've talked about this plenty on the show. Like, I, I think that I think that consumer activism is. The song of a bird that's come to love its own cage. I think it's it's sad. I think it's cucked. I don't like it. Um, but I'm gonna make an exception this time because honestly, the movie looks all right. And the guy's talking about fucking Adrena Chrome in the fucking promotional interviews. I love it. Uh, and uh, and people are just so. I love the about face thing. It's it's like the it's like the continuation of the anti-Trump media stuff, right? Where uh, if Trump said a point that liberals agreed with even five, five minutes ago, they would need to just suddenly, you know, do the exact opposite. And so I love this like opposing this film and just absolutely it's just so suspicious. And, I don't know. It's funny. I'm excited to see it. I'm going to check it out. Uh, I kind of want to do a, a, a movie review of it on the show.
2: Um, yeah, I would do that for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I, the four, like there are five movies that I'm actually interested in, and they all happen to come out in July. So, yeah, I needed to go watch Sound of Freedom. Or, no, it's, yeah, no, yeah, five movies. Sound of Freedom, I'm actually looking forward to watching the Mission Impossible movie. Uh, that just came out. Like, I'm sorry, Tom Cruise can be fucking insane all he wants, but uh, boy, makes good movies. and I haven't We were had a just bad,
2: talking about that last I haven't had, old, right? I have not
0: had, I have not had a bad time with the Mission Impossible franchise that he's yes. had since the, what, 1999 or whatever. Like, they're, they're all good. Um, and I didn't walk away from thinking, like, yeah, that movie sucked. Like, no, it's enjoyable schlock that I can, yeah. uh, you know, like. um, uh, I, I'm going to see barbie and oppenheimer probably back to back um and a lot I'm of get, folks doing that i'm gonna get day one reviews out because that's what content's all about baby but also the venture <laughs> brothers movie drops this coming weekend and i'm a like i'm a big venture brothers fan so to see the series get a nice movie you know send off to the series after like 20 years of it uh i'm really excited about so um i did yeah, not my- yeah. I did not realize that the Venture Brother was. Uh, Bench- Bench-
1: Jesus Christ. I'm not even going to try. I did not <laughs> know that that was coming out so soon. I also did not know you're a big fan, but neither of those surprises me that much. I am fucking stoked now. I had no idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. Next Sunday, I'm going. We're going to see Barbie. I already got the tickets. Very stoked about that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean this is going to be weird because, yeah, like you said, I mean, there's, it's like. I'm excited about Oppenheimer. I'm a little—I'll be honest—I'm a lot more excited about Barbie than I am Oppenheimer because what me and Coh were just talking about, I think earlier this week, like, God, what was it? that clip that you sent me? Oh, dude! Like, okay. Why does every script not every script needs to be a fucking math equation thing? Yeah. you know, like I think Christopher Nolan annoys me a little bit, um, but but not so much as I would say that he's bad by any measure. I like Christopher Nolan, but sometimes it's just it's it's like yeah. all right. You know, I think I was listening to Rare Candy recently, and they were talking about like the original Westworld is just like a simple, fun movie versus like the HBO show that's just this baroque, really complex thing. And it's like, oh my I, god, have you
0: seen the original Westworld? Yes, yeah, I love. Okay, it. yeah, no, it's a great movie. Yeah, great. I wholeheartedly agree. I will say,
1: I will say, I don't want to, I don't want to overly uh, be rah-rah about it because because Westworld is still. Fundamentally, basically, just like a worse transform. Uh, Sorry, not transformers. It's basically just like a more schlocky Terminator. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it's it's
0: Terminator, but a Western. Yeah, Yeah,
1: exactly. It's cool, man. Um, But um, man, don't they like just isn't it? Doesn't James Brol isn't James Brolin like the character that just like dies in the first act of the movie? I love that. They like like, set. Yeah, no, exactly, because he's like a way bigger star than the actual. Uh, actor, mm-hmm. uh, uh, who's like the real lead, and he just gets gatted by um, by what's his name, um, the King and Me guy. Um, well, you know what I'm saying, the, the fucking real yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, no, it's it's funny. Just uh, uh, we're we're getting uh, we're getting we're eating good this month. We're eating good this month. Mm-hmm. And to your point about Mission Impossible, um, Mission Impossible is like this bizarre anomaly because they keep getting better. In my opinion. Like, Mission Impossible 2 notwithstanding, and, like, I'm not enough of a contrarian to say that I love John Woo's Mission Impossible. Like, Mission Impossible 2 is, it is it is what it is, in my opinion. It's a fun movie. It's a fun movie. I don't love it, but it's a fun movie. It's a it, fun had, movie.
0: it does have a Fast and the, like, Furious vibe, where it's, Woo. like, cars and babes, and it's just, like, I'm not really here for that. I'm here for, like, the spy and action shit. But, yeah, no, I mean, uh, exactly. I can't yeah, it, it's okay. But like I That's haven't been bad. disappointed by any Mission Impossible movie. And it's kind of funny that this will be two years back-to-back where Tom Cruise offers a solid summer blockbuster where everyone's kind of enjoying themselves. Like last year, of course, you had uh, Top Gun come out in the summer, mm-hmm. which it threw me off when I went into the theater to see it. Um, and that was like the second or third time I've been in a movie theater since COVID. And it was just like... You know, he opens up and it's, like, just Tom Cruise sitting down saying, like, thank you for watching my movie. I'm really, like, happy for you guys to, like, be seeing it and enjoying it. I'm like, what the fuck is this? But it was, like, <laughs> a really pleasant twist where I was, like, actually, that was really cool of this guy who's, you know, really demanding of his own stunts and stuff like that to, like, go do that. And then I, I, I walked out of the movie and being, like, a Top Gun sequel where I'm bombing Iranian nuclear enrichment plants. Really? All the, all all this, all this for Israel.
1: <laughs> of course,
2: dude. I mean, it's in the fucking movie industry, dog.
1: <laughs> well, also, also for the record, for the record, uh, they they had a they had a camera behind the screen in that intro with uh, with Tom Cruise, and he was actually reading your Thetan counts. Um, <laughs> before, so, so that's an important thing to keep in mind, dude. I'll say Tom Cruise fucking rules. I like know that he's insane. I know he's he's a member of a cult. I'm I'm forgiving of Scientology because, as like, we're just saying everything we said on the last episode. But um, like, it's just an actors' union, basically, like to a certain extent. So like, fucking whatever, dude. Tom Cruise can be insane. He's been based about SSRIs for like decades. Um, and he just like makes good fucking movies you know like like um like 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 Quentin Tarantino's out there talking about how like we don't have like movie stars anymore and he's like right to an extent but, like dude Tom Cruise has been making movies this entire fucking time dude like he's great uh, he does his own stunts like he said he makes good fucking flicks and uh and I'll still I'll still say like as far as like prestige Oscar bait films and stuff like that like Tom Cruise's role, in pt anderson's magnolia is like remains one of my favorites it's awesome if anybody hasn't seen it and is skeptical of tom cruise watch magnolia if you have if you have like 15 hours someday yeah
2: dude that's my issue with it i've thought of i haven't ever seen it and i've thought about watching it because it's supposed to be good but yeah it's so fucking long and i literally sat here and i was like maybe i'll watch that this afternoon when you mentioned it but then you reminded me how long it is again and i was like oh probably not
1: (laughs) I mean it's too long. But, but it's a beautiful film.
2: It's
0: a beautiful film. Well it's like a lot of Bellatars movies where you're just like, I don't I know Satan Tango is supposedly a really good film, but it's like I don't wanna sit there for eight and a half fucking hours, you know? Like I can tolerate I can tolerate a Ben Hur or a Andre Rublev where I know I'm sitting down for four hours, but I know what I'm watching it's really good. But I'm like I don't know if I can commit to eight or fifteen hours, you know. Um but I, I guess I'll have to give it a shot one of these days. Give it a shot. Give it a
1: shot. It's not, it's not a, it's, it's not, you know, I, I kid obviously. I think it's, it's really, it's really around like three hours or something. Yeah. Right? But, uh, but it's, it's longer than it needs to be for a, for a run of the mill uh, feature film. But, but here, mm. I think we should probably, you know, wind it down here a little bit. Um, so you want to say anything?
2: Um, I was just going to say, while we talked about movies, um, I'm excited for Oppenheimer. I know that there's some skepticism on your part, um, and I definitely understand the, the the thing about Christopher Nolan. I didn't even know he was the one that was making it at first when I saw it. I was just like, oh, this looks cool. So I'm excited about that. I don't think I'm going to Barbie, uh, but that's just – I just don't have time for it. Um, the Oppenheimer thing is just like cool movie, looks cool on screen, explosion, yes. zoomed in, mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so I'll go see that. Um, yeah, I got nothing else really. I'd like to thank you Prudentialist for coming on the episode. It's always a pleasure talking with you. I'm happy to see you getting, uh, you know, good things coming to you. Happy to see you getting spots at conventions, um, being keynote speakers. Hopefully more of that will happen. Definitely happy to see what you guys are doing as far as uh, trying to bring politics into the real off of the digital. I think that's very important. So k- kudos to you on that. And definitely would like to you to go ahead and plug anything that you're working on. Of course, plug your sub stack, uh, which is very good, by the way. Um, and yeah. Okay. Well,
0: no, it's always uh, fun to talk with you guys. It's sort of a uh, breath of fresh air to not. I mean, it's always fun to talk to people that, you know, we may not agree on everything, but uh, the people I like to talk to are actually guys I actually enjoy speaking with, which is always a pleasure because sometimes the, the podcast stuff can always be a bit of a drag. But uh, no, this was a lot of fun, and I'm always happy to talk with you gents, um, even before uh, this current pod's iteration existed even beforehand. But uh, so no, you can find me at Substack at theprudentialist.substack.com. I wrote a little review of the Blaze's little summit for the Republican presidential candidates. Um, I'm also on YouTube, um, Telegram, Twitter, everywhere that you can find me. Uh, The best link that you can use is findmyfriends.net slash theprudentialist. Um, and you'll find all of my work there. Just go to findmyfriends.net, you'll see me there. Easy to find all my links. Um, as for what I'm currently working on, um, I've got a much larger substack in the works um, called The Present Age is Woke, and it'll be a look at Soren Kierkegaard's concept of the leveling and our Ooh. current... Um, what, And also defining what the hell wokeness actually is, because I, I offer the definition that I think people really need to consider. And if I could just uh, leave off with a little teaser of that, I, I think that we can we can go from there. Oh, that'd because be I, I think people need to have a good definition for what woke is. And if you don't have one, um, you know, it's a current thing to consider. So let me go give you a good definition. A wokeness is an adjective describing a process of, ho- of a homogenizing and systematizing form of leftist managerialism managerialism requires systematization which requires a streamlined and homogenizing process if progressivism is a nanobot or a mind virus if you so choose then the grey goo scenario of this world would be to make everyone regardless of race, culture, or creed to be broken down and reassembled into gay little paperclips
2: I like the gay little paperclips that's a nice touch (laughs) reminds me of the guy from fucking word dude back in the day that little gay guy little fucking (laughs) faggot (laughs) Bouncing <laughs> around, talking about how can I help you, dude? Get out of here, bro! Fucking bouncy little For dude. For some
0: reason, you just reminded me of Leslie Jordan, and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> someone needs to like. <laughs> no one ever punted him like through a football field, and it should have been done. <laughs> like you know, I, I I think about how like those like um. Like, you know, LGBT accessible bathrooms or whatever, like that commercial where the guy's like shutting the door closed and he's like, uh uh-uh. uh. And I'm like, you've unironically made the most like based folk hero that like every yeah. normie can cling on to. Like, uh uh-uh. uh, go to where you bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And it's the like uh, aggressively
1: not passing trans person walking up to the bathroom.
0: So every tranny, you know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> well, not the uh, ones that Trump's
1: not the ones that Trump likes.
0: Oh, oh, Don't get me started. We could be here for another hour if I bitch about Fuck. Blair White. Um, but okay. yeah, no, so they're 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 a net negative for both the right and the left. But this Lady Maga Blair White shit's got to go. Like you're not making Christ- conservatism any better. You're just making America worse. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my final take for the evening. there.
1: Beautiful. Ended on a strong note. Well, let's let's cut it here.
2: Definitely. We'll go ahead and link um, that find my friend's link as well in the description of this podcast. So if you're listening and you forgot what he said, you don't have to re-rewind it. We'll have it in the description. So, yeah. Perfect. And that concludes this week's episode of These People Are Sick. Thank you for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, you could head over to our Patreon page, which is the home for bonus content, extra episodes, video content, access to our Discord, and more. That's patreon.com slash thesepeoplearesick, and we hope to see you over there.